are listening to Jim and Donnie's Short, Sharp and Fitness podcast, brought to you by oldbullhealth.com, your hosts, Donnie Singe and Jim Bolt. Okay, so then you go through, so you talk about the 12 practices, Donnie referenced this, the 12 practices of process or of self-coaching, and you talk about values and, and obviously identifying those moving to strengths, but then it got to purpose. Mm. And, um, you know, one thing, a little bit, little bit of topic, but I, I was at a school um, doing a careers program, and it struck me how the younger people almost accept that they might have five or six different careers and might do different things and it's okay you know so i might start off being a, an accountant but then i might go and become a you know a physical yeah you know a, a trainer of some sort and then i might move from there into the adventure and go and be a skiing instructor yeah and that's okay you know they don't seem to be too fussed about that or, oh i'll go to uni and i'll start doing x and then i'll end up at y which was very different to i think how we were brought up where you you know i'm going to be an accountant and i go and I, then i'll go and become an accountant and i stay there um so i thought that was really interesting and I, and the other thing was just your you know and i really I, I thought you know you talk about making sure your purpose ties into your role so you've got young folks who are going to try a whole lot of different things first of all who see it as fluid very different to how we see it we trying to lead these people and maybe don't understand that and then the second thing um, was just in terms of of how that purpose piece doesn't necessarily align to your job, and you can kind of end up in a job which you never initially thought you would, which is not your purpose. And 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 you know, it's it's probably easier said than done sometimes to go well, just well know your purpose and go and do that. You know, you know, follow your purpose. But sometimes the money is too much to give away. So. Just re- sorry, I've asked. I know I've, I've rambled a bit there, Karen. But in terms of reconciling that youth, but to multiple careers and and purpose, yeah, yeah. and then actually, if you're in a space which is not your purpose, how you kind of bring that round to tie in with a purpose and, and in a practical way, if that's yeah, a, yeah, that's I hear possible. you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm completely jealous of this generation who have the opportunity to try so many more things yeah, because, me too. Um, you know, <laughs> wow, how exciting is that? And and it's also it, it allows for so much more growth. You know what? Mm. Back in the day, it was kind of in school. It'd be what are you going to be? And you were kind of branded or labelled by your school counsellor as mm. okay. So you're going to be a social worker. Okay, great. There's a degree you can do on that. And and then off mm. you went. And it didn't really give us uh, much agility to to test things, to try things and experiment. And I think that's mm. what I like about I've got two two sons, twenty and, and nineteen, and and the way that they look at the world is is um, so much more flexible, and there's much mm. more agility and much more confidence than what I think my generation, our generation, had. Purpose is not necessarily something you wake up and go, "Wow, this is it. This is my purpose. Here I am." Um, and I think it's about allowing it to form, but also recognizing that in time it might change. You know, we might do something that we find really purposeful today, but then in a few years we might reignite some other purpose. But if we can actually try and um, calibrate with what what we're doing, first of all, understanding what is it that makes me feel that I'm doing something that matters. When I'm feeling I'm doing something that matters, I'm more likely to feel it's purposeful. I'm, there's much, it's much more meaningful and connected with who I am and what I do. And often that can come from understanding what are the values that you'd like to honour in the work that you do and does this align with your values? What are the strengths that I can bring towards that? 
And if I tend to step into a role where I've, I've stepped out of uni or I've changed roles or, or maybe I've, I've lost a job and I'm finding a new one and I'm just taking an opportunity until I find the right one, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we also have to be pragmatic as to not everything's going to be laid out to follow a book which tells us just live to your purpose. It's, we've got to be, you know, commercially minded to some extent too to say I do need to have some way of living my life and financially I need a means to an end, whatever that might be. But in the work I'm doing, can I try and turn my mind to what is this work? Do I feel that I've joined an organisation where my values are aligned, where I feel comfortable being a part of this mm. organisation and want to and stand That's a bigger and bigger deal now in terms of climate and sustainability and other things, right, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think more organisations are responding to try and make people aware of what their position is of mm. that so that people mm. can be informed when they're stepping into an organisation. But it, it's then also thinking, well, if if I can feel comfortable joining an organisation, um, then what can I what can I do that I feel really gives me meaning? What can I do that makes me feel that it matters in the work I do? So rather than looking at it in a really kind of I guess tactical ways, every day I come in, I open my laptop, I might write a report about this or that, and then I give it to someone to review. That's kind of the operational way that we work. Come back and lift it higher what's the problem that the problem that you're here to try and solve for mm, mm. so and everything we do has a human problem everything that we in our communities in our organizations in government they all are trying to solve human problems whether it's creating new legislation to allow us to have more tax coming in because we're trying to have revenue which will allow us to have infrastructure which allows people to commute which allows for better well-being or access to different services goods etc it's about solving for problems or it could be in the field of sport that there's you know people are trying to to solve a, a human problem which relates to how as a community we come together mm-hmm. and we actually uh, are able to embrace ourselves in an organized way to allow us to to use our physicality but also to use strategy in mm-hmm. in how we come together mm-hmm. in enjoy this the field of sport and 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 live it you know in a way that mm. is very productive and positive to the way we want to be and and, and uh, be together so and competition can also be a fun thing to be involved in mm. competition mm. is not a dirty word you know it can be actually mm. a lovely thing to embrace mm. so how can i actually reframe what i'm doing to consider what is the the problem that i'm here to solve and then why for am i significant in solving that problem so, you know, even in your podcast, it might be that you're, um, the, the human problem is that you're trying to bring information to people who otherwise wouldn't have insights and knowledge mm. and perspectives mm. so that they can build their own and make better and informed choices to improve their well-being. That might be mm. the human problem that you're trying to solve. So then operationally, how do you go about that? You invite guests on, you have different topics of interest, you do some research, you put it together. You, you know, there's all these operational things that you do, but the purpose behind it is to try and support people with their well-being. It's not just to do a podcast full stop. And that's what I think we need to get behind is why are we doing what we're doing? What is the reason? What is the problem we're trying to solve for? And therefore, how do I bring attention to that in my day-to-day? So I feel that when I pitch up, when I show up, when I do what I do, that I can feel much more energised because of that. I'm much more connected with it. Um, And it's it's much more exciting to be doing stuff. You feel more energised in what you do. Yeah, no, so, and purpose is key, and I, 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 I know you quote Simon Sinek, and and he's great in all these videos, and, and that he runs around purpose. But I mean, the one challenge I had was, you know, I worked in marketing for a long time, and so, um, yeah, and and you, obviously the quote, I think um, Zach Mercurio work around identifying the world problem that you exist to solve, which tied yes. back into your your purpose, right? Yes, yeah, he looks at it slightly differently. Mm. I find it very um, 
very effective in looking at it that way rather than just simply trying to understand what is my why because that's such a big question and when you t- you ask people that they're kind of go, what do you mean you know what is my why I don't know what it is but if you ask them well let's let's try and understand why you do what you do what is the problem you're trying to mm. solve for most mm. people when you keep going with them and coaching them through that will go deeper and and they will actually move yeah. away from I just you know prepare these accounts because I'm good at looking at numbers to actually, well, who are you preparing them for? Oh, I'm preparing them for large corporates. So why are you doing it? So that people can look at them and feel that there's due governance. And why are we doing that? Oh, so that they can trust that organisation. And why is that important? So you can invest and know that I have financial well-being and I'm not going to sit there with anxiety and worry when I invest in this organisation. And that improves my well-being, emotional, cognitive. Oh, so you're actually helping people with improving their financial well-being in the work that you do. That's a very different Mm. purpose to I just do financial reports. And so it's actually trying to help them see the impact of the work that they do. Unlock that. Yeah. Yeah. Unravel it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, The other area which which I was, was, which I really found interesting was you you talked about assumptions, biases, and cognitive distortions. Mm. And they were things like imposter syndrome, self limiting thinking, catastrophizing, jumping to conclusions. Uh, reframing automatic negative thoughts and so on. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you: Is there a, is, is, who's worse at this? Is it is it a male female thing? Is it an old young thing? Is it an educated and non-educated? Is it professional non-professional? Are there any key areas and and how best you know how do you, dealing with that stuff? Um, if you're in one of those areas, is there is there you know what's how do you because I can see that would limit so many people. Um, in terms of who I've come across in my travels, um, sometimes not all of them, but it'll be one specific one. You know, the catastrophizing is one that I've come across uh, right. a lot, where the world's yeah. going to end when um, you know when the when it rains. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for forty um, days and forty nights, mate. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell that to Noah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it 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 can happen to anyone, Jim. I mean, it's it's. Some people have said, oh, is it, is it gendered? Is it that more women suffer from that than men? And actually, interestingly, the imposter syndrome is not a syndrome at all. It's, it's actually um, a phenomenon. And the women who happen to create this or under, do the first study happen to be, or the people, I should say, happen to be two women. So they got associated with women. They happen to be working in a university in America, which was a women's college. So the, the subjects of their trials happen to be women. And therefore, when it took off, people started thinking, oh, this must be a women's issue. But there's just as many men as we've learned from studies that have followed yeah. oh, who well. will endure the the imposter phenomenon. Uh, it's it's not a medical syndrome. Mm. So with that, um, it can be in any situation. It could be that you have somebody who's you know doing who's well trained and doing really well, and suddenly something stops them. Suddenly they feel that they're in a high performance environment and they're looking around and they're seeing everybody who's at their A game and they're suddenly starting to wonder oh, gosh, am I as good as them or will I soon be found out um, and people won't want to work with me? Or it could be a trigger that maybe somebody else has given an opportunity that you thought otherwise should have come to you. So you start questioning, well, what's wrong with me? Obviously, there's an issue. They don't see me as having, you know, enough value. And, and so when we start to tell ourselves these negative stories, it can happen with kids. You know, they can be looking at themselves and how they're performing at school or how they're performing in sport or in dance or whatever it is they're doing and looking around suddenly losing that sense of self-belief or self-confidence because of the stories we tell ourselves. And so we're all wired to lean into the negative. 
I mean, you know, from yeah. caveman days, we all learnt into the negative for self-preservation. Because you had to survive, yeah. That's right. And so we really, we've also trained ourselves to get excited by the negative. You know, if you look mm. at the the TV shows and the soap operas and the dramas mm. and the reality TV and all the backstories, there's a lot of negative that we present mm. as being this is the way we all are and think and we have to work hard yeah. to move from that. So what we need to do is is use this capacity to act to notice more of ourselves to be much more conscious of our thinking. Be so much become more aware, catch yourself, Absolutely. catch yourself in those thoughts. Is that yeah? Is that when you fair? when you're feeling an emotion, if I'm feeling like a rise in my anxiety or a rise in worry or yeah. concern, just stopping and asking myself, what's going on for me? What's actually yeah. causing this? Oh, I've I'm worried about this because of X because I wasn't asked to lead in that opportunity because. I made a mistake and people therefore will think I'm no good because I wasn't picked for this team in the sporting arena, whatever it is. If I can notice what that thinking is doing to me and causing the emotion, I can catch it. I can make a choice. That's the most important thing. I can choose to let the emotion push me and drive me towards the behaviours, which might not be helpful, or I can choose to deal with that emotion and take on other behaviours. So yeah. I can think about if I'm feeling anxious, what can I do to lower my anxiety? So maybe I can yeah. just introduce some breathing techniques yeah. to just breathe myself through it, stabilise yeah. myself, hold yeah. myself in that moment. I'm not saying pretend it's not there because it is there. We just have to notice it and, and attend to it and then make choices to lead ourselves towards different results. Through so the a lot of those would lead to anxiety, feeling yeah. of anxiety, so yeah. to speak, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Donnie, you've obviously had, a sports, you know, obviously, you know, a professional sportsman who's had a bad game, then mm-hmm. you would have a lot of these coming through as well, right? Going, oh, shit, I didn't have a good game. Now now you've got to pick themselves up or they've just, or the whole team's lost a game, you know, with some soft tries or whatever the case is. Yeah. Look, um, that that whole area to me is, um, you yeah, know, one of, one of the major strategies we use is feedback loops. And, you know, um, a lot of people, they don't know how to engage in conversations, ask questions, and use a feedback loop. So they jump immediately to assumptions and and um, they they don't test the truth that they hear. So so quite a bit of of what we've just talked about um, can can be made a lot clearer and can be not 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 always avoided because sometimes we just don't like answers. However. You're in a much better um, position when you use feedback loops, and then you're able to know what the truth is at the moment. And that's exactly what happens with athletes. Our first thing we do when lose or draw is we review our process, and individuals will break down and review what they have done leading into that match. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something they could do better? Of course, there always is. However, we're more interested in, okay, during that process, there are things that are always going to happen. And, and now how can we um, shift the dial a little bit and and, yeah. and, and handle those? But for me... Um, so what happened simple, and what's the plan to, to... What happened and, and how to fix it? And that's the feedback what, loop, right? What happened there? What was in yeah. control? What was not yeah. in our control? Yeah. Um, if, if every uncontrollable in everybody's life eventually becomes a controllable, the more you unpack it. So there yeah. are there are actually no uncontrollables. It, mm. it, okay. It's yeah, you know, everything when you bring it down to its micro state will become a controllable. It just means that there's a lot more work and a lot more, um, you know, investigation and and probably a lot more effort. But 
uh, not to say that you have to get there all the time, but if you, um, with my, most people, you know, when you're really looking at helping them build routines or or um, or get on top of things, uh, you one of the first things we do is is write down or, or have them. What's your perception of controllables and uncontrollables? And one of the things, you know, that that we like to do is is get people if they can put them into the uncontrollable, then we like them to perhaps think about um, realizing that if they put it there as an uncontrollable, don't carry it. Don't carry it with mm. you because it mm. is, un- you wrote it, it's there, you said it. Mm. Mm. So so if you're still thinking about it, then there must be a controllable element somewhere. So you can start, you know, playing mm. playing with that. But um, that's 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 literally what we pull apart first. What mm. what was controllable? What wasn't controllable? Um, are you going to adjust and, and um, you know, be more mindful around the controllable element? And then let's have a look at this uncontrollable element. Is there some way that, you know, as we as we pull it down and, and, and have a look at it, like I said, in a micro sense, um, that we can shift that over to the mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. side. Okay. It could yeah, just be so. asking simple questions as to, um, you know, do I have enough data points? What's the data that's crafted my assumptions? You know, and, and is, is it true? Have I tested my data? So I often ask people I coach, so what's the basis of that assumption? What are the data points that you have? And they'll say, well, this person hasn't called me back. They obviously don't believe in me. Um, they're not going to support me. I have to get a new job because I don't have a believer. Well, how have you tested that? And what they might find when they test it is that person does believe in them. They've just been caught up with some other priorities or they've been overseas or their computer crashed and they couldn't reply. But it's it's the lack of insight and information. Mm-hmm. It's that limited perspective. So by helping people think about what they can control and what they think they can't is pushing over their cognitive boundaries to see and hear much more and test it to enable them to have think about what are the inferences I'm making based on the observations I've made of the data mm-hmm. available to mm-hmm. me. And how many more data points do I need to actually mm. test my assumptions because they might not be healthy in where they're moving me towards? I might actually need to um, revisit those assumptions and, and consider also what my own mm. biases are. You know, what do I? what's my tendency in terms of the biases that I hold and how do I start taking notice of those? So I agree with you, Donnie, it is about feedback loops. It's about your own feedback through self-awareness, through actually making time to notice more of yourself and be more yeah. mindful and completing the feedback loop by asking of others because we all have blind spots. And so I need to find trusted people around me. I call it my personal board of directors who can actually support me to help me see more of me that I can't see. And when we do, you know, when kids are taught to drive these days, they're literally taught to do a blind spot check where they have to turn their head to see what they otherwise couldn't see. I mean, we were never taught that. We just drove, right? And if we hit something, we hit something. Well, now they're taught to try and... Yeah, well, we're teaching people now to try and do that in your life is do the blind spot checks. Stop Mm. and find out what you can't see that you might otherwise bump into or cause an incident of or have an outcome that you hadn't predicted or hadn't anticipated by seeking trusted colleagues, family members, friends to be on your side and help you with that feedback. And I tell you what, feedback's a whole complete another podcast when we talk about Mm, how do you give feedback. Well, that's what I was going to go to next. Donnie, do you need to jump (laughs) off? How are you going on time? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to jump off in a second and set this up. But um, so let okay. me go. I'll, I'll, I'll head off now. But it's been great talking to you, Karen, and and um, and thanks very much. And uh, oh, thank you. It is, it's, it's a it's a great book. So, Karen, just on feedback. I mean, that's the one thing, and I think there are two parts. That the one is that I think a lot of kids today go through life and in their first job or when they get into the real world, it's the first time they get real feedback, which is not you're amazing and you're awesome. Um, and then the second thing is that in a lot of 
lot of work scenarios, you know, the first time a person gets a, you know, a, a, a feedback saying there's a problem is the first time they actually know there's a problem. No one's ever said to them, you're not doing mm -hmm. a great job. And then suddenly they get a warning and they're going, where the, where the hell did this come from? And that creates a lot of other issues. So why do you, why do you think, um, well, my perception is that we're bad at giving honest feedback. Yeah. Um, so there's this authentic, and, and you talk about radical candor, I think, mm -hmm. um, which was yeah. Kim Scott talked yeah. about, which is being direct but positive. Mm. So what's, why do you think we're so bad or, or at giving this honest feedback if you've got a view and what, how do you go about and what's kind of, how do you fix that? Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons why we're poor at giving feedback. I think um, one might be because we talked earlier about being busy. So I'm too busy to stop and give you mm. the feedback. Surely you've noticed that yourself. It wasn't very good. Surely you would have realised when I tracked changes that it was needed to be different as mm. opposed to sitting down with somebody and saying, well, actually, perhaps I didn't explain what the intention was or, or work through it and help them grow from it. Um, so People also don't like conflict and that's why they might not give feedback. They might feel that they're in conflict if they're doing mm. so. Like I'll upset mm. that person. They might be defensive. They might get angry with me. It won't feel good. So yeah. I'd rather not. Um, and so a lot of people will delay the giving of feedback. And when you delay it too much, the impact lessens. You know, people don't yeah. remember how they felt in that moment or you don't remember how you felt as much. Yeah. So it's harder to express what the impact was. Some people really want people to like them. And so they won't give negative feedback or what's perceived as negative feedback because they still want to be liked. Yeah. Yet you can still be liked and be honest and give feedback that's constructive and helpful and demonstrates, you know, what's the impact of what you've just done? Yeah. What's the behaviour that resulted in that or the thinking that resulted in that or the emotion perhaps? And what would be the preferred behaviour, emotional cognition to lead to a different impact? How can I share that with you so you can see, you know, make it really clear and helpful? Um there's, there's quite a few reasons why, or people might not think it's their responsibility. It might be a power dynamic that's at play that they feel yeah. uncomfortable. They might feel it's a career limiting move to give feedback. You know, mm. how can I tell you that as a leader, you didn't delegate mm. effectively to me and I was lost? You know, surely that's going to limit opportunities. So we get to a whole lot of, of issues and reasons why. I think also the quality of the communication we often have between people is poor. And people don't necessarily explain things or take the time to prepare for feedback. So when they give some feedback, it might be in the moment that, you know, Jamie, your, your podcast is great. Keep doing what you do. And you walk away going, okay, that's nice. But what does that mean? What does yeah. great mean? And what should I keep mm. doing that you think is great? Mm. So we have to get better at actually helping people help themselves. Because and also accepting that feedback, because you, I suppose you know, yeah. you say, "Well, yeah, your, your podcast sucks." You go, well, "You just, you just don't know what you're, you've never, you've never done one. You know what you're talking about, right?" Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's actually there's. I, I like to coach people around around feedback frameworks, both how you give yeah. feedback and how you receive it, because mm. often we can be quite thin skinned or defensive mm. in, in how we mm. receive. Oh, it. defensive is yes. Yeah, I think that's probably part of it as well. Because you get offended, mm. right? Yeah, um, you feel like that's not seeing me as my best. Outraged, so, yes. Yeah, reputationally, you see me like that. Well, that's not me. That's not yeah, how I want to be That's you. Seen. That's you, yeah. not me. You, you must have <laughs> You're the problem. the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So we can we can spend a lot of time um, also just, you know, sugarcoating feedback, you know. When yeah, and, and, and I suppose that, you know, the, the last point was that you, you've you got a, a part of the books around leading with kindness. Yes, Yes. And um, and that comes back to that, you know, so I was going, you know, social norms that are say, oh, I love you or, 
you yeah. know, or I'll see you. Let's catch up and have it. Meanwhile, you've got no intention of catching up ever again. And then you walk away and roll your eyes, you know, that kind of thing. So not, not naturally being authentic, but so you've got this feedback that needs to be honest, but our social norms often aren't that um, honest, if that's the right way of putting it as well. So getting that balance, um, you know, so that leading with kindness, and I, uh, hopefully I got that wrong. You know, you, you obviously want to be kind and fair, but there's a certain, is there a hard edge that comes with that as well in terms of being authentic or do you think people well, just I think you can don't want tough, that or aren't ready for that? No, no, no. You can give, you can give tough feedback and be very kind in doing so. Yeah. If if your if your podcast is in need of a lot of work and and I tell you and yeah. help you understand yes. the basis of that, that's yeah. being kind because so I'm allowing you. So yeah. the kindness comes in standing in your shoes and understanding. Well, what what are yeah. your needs and how can I assist Good you point. and support you? How can yeah. I help you with some blind spots you might have and 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 not otherwise be attending to? How can mm -hmm. I talk to you about the impact? Of, of what you're doing and whether it's actually achieving the impact that you hope for. So yep. bringing things to your attention, uh, it's not necessarily criticising, it's mm. just it can be informing. And, and so you mm. can have, as I say, you know, more more coming into to your um, suite of knowledge, more data points for you to start altering yeah. or changing your assumptions that I thought my podcast was great. Well, actually, yeah. now that I've got more data, I'm seeing... Are you telling me my baby's this. ugly? <laughs> 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 yes. Different kind of feedback, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no kindness um, in that. Um, yeah. So kindness is 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 probably a construct that isn't used enough. Some people get nervous about being kind in the workplace. Mm. Do you want me just to be nice all the time? And that's not what kindness yeah. is. Well, you might be popular, but you don't get anything done. No. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. that's not kindness because that's not being kind to people and making them, um, allowing them or assisting them with being productive and and growing and being motivated and engaged and having opportunities. Yeah. You know? There's also it leads to another thing which which I found challenging. So you might go, okay, just as a bad example, expense claims. You can claim work-related expenses. Then someone will claim come in and claim, you know, an Audible subscription, and you're going, well, hang on. And they say, oh, but I listen to business books on it, and it's it gets grey. So then you go, all right, well, so am I being? So now I need to be kind and go, all right, well, it's only whatever a month, so that's fine. But then I also need to make sure it's very clear in the policy. So we end up with these sure. massive amounts of policies. So I can be very <laughs> clear because I don't want to be unkind and say, no, you can't claim your subscription to Netflix because you're watching <laughs> business documentaries on it. You know, it's a bit tenuous. Yeah, do you know this what I mean? This sounds it? like um, it's a very personal experience that you're sharing that. Well, I mean, there's also kindness to self. So you also need to think about, well, how do I hold myself in, in that situation? And if I am the owner of the business or if I am managing a business and there's certain parameters and growth targets and and the reasonableness of, of, of doing business, mm. what? how deep does the policy need to go? Like we don't mm. need to have a war and peace policy. We need to have something that's practical and that's readily understood mm. by people. Mm. And that's kind. So if people want to try and play on the edges, mm. sometimes it's the kindness in the conversation to say, well, hold on, we all understand the intent behind this policy. It was never intended that we were mm. going to pay for your you know, Netflix subscription and, mm. and imagine the ripple effect if we do it for you, how it would be and, for us. And, and the other, all the other people, yeah. yeah I think so, the best so, was just to not to enter into a debate. Yeah, uh, oh, and that's probably the kindness no. in that. Yeah. There's no, yeah, that's, sorry, executive decision, no. Yeah, and sometimes that's what I'm saying. Sometimes kindness is about being tough, 
making yes. tough calls, making yeah. tough decisions. So there's clarity, there's information that people can mm. hear the example, that it's role modelled in a way that people now know, okay, this is the basis of how we work together and what's accepted yeah. and what's not accepted. This is the culture of the organisation and and what would be seen as fair and reasonable in terms yeah. of expenses, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah kindness is not, is not um, I want us to get away from thinking kindness is just about being nice. because Kindness is affordable, so do it. Um, Good, Karen. Thank you so much. So, Karen, as I said, uh, your book, Be Your Own Leadership Coach um, by Karen Stein. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with Donnie and I today. Um, it's been invaluable. Thank and you. Um, yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. I hope I hope lots of people get to um, enjoy our conversation. Any final messages before we go? If Words of wisdom, to- Karen. Well, I don't have words of wisdom, but if people, if, if people um, would like to be in contact, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active and engaged on LinkedIn and more than happy to be in conversation. I also have my book website, karenstainecoaching.com, um, where, again, you can find additional things that I've written or spoken to um, around the book. Um, so it'd be my pleasure to uh, to have you in my network. Thank you for listening to Gem and Donnie's Short, Sharp and Fitness podcast brought to you by oldbullhealth.com. For more information, visit our website or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. Or drop us an email if you do have any questions or would like to suggest a topic. Help at oldbullhealth.com